Good morning, good morning to you, you. Good morning, good morning to you, you. Good morning, good morning. Won't you share with a friend or two? Good morning, good morning to you. You, good morning, good morning, good morning to you. You, good morning. Good morning to you. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Daring Dialogues. I'm your host today, Shante Charles. It is Get Free Friday, where we talk all things faith and health and finances. Um, <clears throat> some of the topics today are personal because they're happening to me. They have happened to me or are getting ready to happen. And then some of our topics today is gonna to be one of the topics that has lit up black Americans yet again. And then if we have time, we'll get into Rest is Resistance, a manifesto by Tricia Hersey. We'll start working into this today with you all. But first, today, as we're talking about and being that Fridays is centered on um, health, and wealth. Today I am um, doing one of those tests that women have to do um, annually and they do, I think they recommend starting at 30. If your family, if you have a family history of um, cancers of any kind, um, but if not 30, I think it's 35 where they are recommending that women begin doing their annual um, mammogram. So I am going to be doing that after I get off with you all. I'll be leaving to go to that appointment. Um, I recommend it. A friend of mine, uh, Dr. Nikki Collins, has founded an organization called Girl Check 7. I believe they are also here on um, IG. Um, but Girl Check 7 is a organization that reminds women to make sure they do their mammogram testing. Um, Dr. Nikki Collins is a survivor of breast cancer herself, and she founded the organization um, in response to realizing how many women do not do their annual mammogram. So um, we encourage you to check your girlies every year. Uh, once you get especially into that age range where you're supposed to be doing it yearly. So I am going to do mine today and I encourage you if you are a woman uh, 35 and older who has never done a mammogram or never thought about doing a mammogram, I'm going to encourage you to go and get that done. And also send me your wonderful positive energy as I go take my uh, exam today. Secondly, I don't know if it is a post-pandemic um, episode. I don't know if it's a post-pandemic sort of mindset, but has anybody been noticing that the work ethic 
and even the, I guess, the effort centered around work. Has anybody else besides me been noticing that people are just, they're just not giving it their all anymore? Anybody else notice that? And I don't care what, like, what industry it is. I'm just noticing across the board that people are giving lackluster service. <laughs> I'm going to say it that way. <clears throat> so um, our neighborhood, our association fees pays for or supposed to pay for our lawn care. And I've been having issues with my lawn care people. Like if it if I was not a part of an HOA, I would have been fired them and just got another lawn care service servicer. But being that that's not the case, I have to deal with my lawn care servicer, right? And so for three weeks in a row when they've come out to do lawn care, um, I've gone out there. Some of them speak English. Some of them do not. I've gone out there and I've politely said, you know, you know, um, se habla espanol poquito, right? Which means I speak a little bit of Spanish, but I've even used my Google translator and spoke in Spanish to them to say, I need my um, shrubbery and I need my, you know, greenery chopped down and properly edged so that nothing is like hanging over because we had other service technicians that had to come out and they said, hey, you have the potential to have this kind of problem in your home because all of this needs to be cut away and trimmed back. That is what's causing the problem. All of these little bugs and insects, they wanna make their way into a cooler environment and they have nice little ladders up to your home. So here's what you need to do when your your uh, lawn care people come. You need to tell them that they need to cut all this back and they need to properly trim it. Well, I've done that three weeks in a row. I've been patient. I've been kind. I've been neighborly. I've been even Christian about it. So yesterday when I came home and I saw them had already cut the grass and were blowing stuff away like they had finished. And I looked at all of my shrubberies and saw nothing had been done. I got out of my car. I went walking the neighborhood. I found their supervisor and I told their supervisor, I'm gonna need you to come back to my house. And then I showed him all the stuff that was undone. And then I stood out there for 15 minutes in 95 degree weather making sure and watching them cut it down and cut it back and blow it away. Now, this is how I have always felt. If I have to stand somewhere over you and hover over you and make you do your job, that's a whole problem. Because what am I paying you for? <laughs> Listen. I started the lawn care business when I was 10 years old, okay? And what I was doing at 10 years old was better than what I saw happening in my own lawn. You feel me? Okay? So my stepfather, he ran a lawn company and had us out there helping him with his company. 
So I know how to edge. <laughs> I know how to <laughs> cut grass. All right. I know how to blow away leaves. My husband does it sometimes when he feels like getting out there and blowing leaves, even though we have lawn service care people. Because the reality is, if I have to help you to do your job, why am I paying you? I want to know. So <clears throat> I was just wondering, I'm wondering if it's me. Like, do you all also see or notice that people are doing the bare minimum now that we have come back from the pandemic? Like the whole work ethic is off. Cause I noticed, I noticed from what we were getting before to now. And now I'm having to find a supervisor, stand over you, tell you where to cut and how to cut it back. And that's just with lawn care. Let's talk about this past Sunday. <laughs> this past Sunday, I didn't feel like cooking. So I said, you know, we're going we're gonna to go to a restaurant. Believe it or not, a lot of Black-owned restaurants on Sundays are closed. I mean, I get that they're all in church I'm, and for the most part, you know, I, I get it. But Sunday I said, okay, well, we can't really find somebody that's open that is black owned. And that's a whole other, whole other issue. Um, we're, we are trying to plan for a celebration for next week for the husband. His birthday is next Friday. And so, um, <laughs> Again, sought out a Black-owned restaurant. The Black-owned restaurant is still on pandemic servicing, so they're not open inside. So I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, this is a problem. So we said, okay, it's Sunday. Most of the stuff that we want to eat where we would go to is typically closed. So... Let's just try a basic brand restaurant that everybody knows. It's standard fare. It's American fare. You pretty much are, are you pretty much know what you're gonna get out of this restaurant brand. Right? So we tried Chili's. Everybody knows Chili's, right? It's a pretty staple restaurant in almost every city or town you go to. You're gonna find one or two of them, right? I've been to one before. I, I know what to expect. We get to the one in this particular town. And I'm going to call the town because I already sent the corporate my um, write-up. Timonium. Timonium, Maryland. So we get there. We walk in. There's no hostess at the front. No hostess. I'm looking around. It's very sparse inside. Now, I am checking that. I'm like, okay, it's it's sparse enough in here that if I want to eat in, you know, and I want to be kind of secluded from other guests because we are st now back into another loop of COVID, you know, I can we can be far enough away. So we're standing there. Five minutes goes by. No hostess comes out yet. We see waiters toward the back of the restaurant, and they're kind of like serving people that are already eating right behind the hostess. Uh, station is the bar. There are people in at the bar that see us standing there waiting for a hostess. They don't say anything. They just look at us and keep polishing their glasses. <laughs> and I'm like, 
should we stay here? So I'm, I go over to the bar and as soon as I start walking over there, oh, oh, um, somebody, somebody will be out in a, in a moment, sir. It's been five to seven minutes of moments at this point. You have seen us this whole time standing here waiting for somebody to come out. There's nothing within you as a, as an employee to say, um, we need somebody at the hostess booth. There are customers waiting to be served. Like, I'm just saying. So no one still comes out, by the way. <clears throat> and the servers who were serving other people toward the back, they're walking up. They can clearly see us standing there. And they turn and go towards the kitchen. No one still comes out. Needless to say, we left. We wound up going somewhere else. We got our food and, you know, we went home. But the work ethic, the work ethic post-pandemic is not here, people. It's not. And I get it. I understand people are frustrated. I understand people feel like we need to be make, they need to be making more money. But I'm going to say, if that's the way you feel, then you probably just should go into an industry that doesn't require you to stand in front of people. Like do telemarketing, um, something. Because I had to write a letter. Because I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. Where, where? <laughs> where's, the, where where's the customer service? And again, I have worked in restaurant business, so I get it. I understand. Um, but at the same time, when I got tired of being doing restaurant type services, I said, deuces, find somebody that's interested. Find somebody that's interested. Find somebody that's interested. And even if you didn't know where the host was, you see people waiting and there were more people coming in behind us. And then we find, you know, when we left, they were still standing there. So, yeah, I'm just saying the attitude towards work is definitely changed. And I think a part of that is, you know, definitely people realized they felt overworked for one and they felt underpaid for two. But also just the whole... um morale behind work the morale behind work is changing people want something different and again i get that which is why i do for me i do the majority of my cooking at home i do i eat at home most of the time sometimes i don't eat breakfast but i eat lunch and dinner at home most of the time and i do the cooking Because if I want frustration, then yeah, I will go out and try to eat something. <laughs> but I'm like, I can cook at home and be perfectly fine with what I cook. I've broadened my horizons. <laughs> I can do some casseroles now. I, I, ha I haven't tried cooking, making uh, ribs. But I can, I can do some pretty good grilled chicken stuff. I can do salmon. I can do fish, standard rices, side, side vegetable, like 
I can cook at home. And yes, it is better to eat most of your meals at home anyway. You know, exactly. You know what you're getting when you cook at home. So if I put on clothes, use gas, drive out to your space to support it with my dollars, I don't expect to be waiting five to seven minutes for somebody to to even come as a host for a major brand restaurant in America to say, hi, welcome to XYZ. How many people are in your party? Where would you like to be seated? Follow me this way. Like, what are we doing? (laughs) I can't get basic hospitality. I'm staying home. I'm just saying. I'm staying home. Or like some people are doing, and when I find a good one, uh, I'll let you all know. Some people are um, doing the, the chef that comes to your house and makes you dinner. I haven't tried that one yet, but it's about to be there. <laughs> because if I can have a chef come to my house and make dinner for two, again... I'm saving, I'm still saving on gas. I don't necessarily have to get dressed. I can be casual in my own home and food comes right to me, right? So I would be paying for convenience versus filling up my tank to go somewhere where people are not going to pay attention to me and act like I didn't spend my time and my gas money to show up at your restaurant. And the company just emailed me back saying, oh, we're so sorry that you had such a difficult. Okay, how are you going to compensate for it, though? Don't just tell me you're sorry. How are you going to compensate for it? And here's the thing for me, because I write reviews. I am in the top percent of restaurant reviewers for Google worldwide. I am in the top percent of local eatery reviewers for Maryland. So I don't walk in telling people this. (laughs) I just write about my experience after I've been to your restaurant. And if it's great, hey, awesome for you. You're going to get more business. Because one thing about those qualifications is they put my review at the top and everybody else's review below that. So if you're great, I can't wait to write a review about how wonderful your food is and your atmosphere and your service and all of this. And I go into detail and I take pictures and I upload them. But if you trifling, that's not a good look, especially if you are like a major brand, like don't do that. Don't be trifling. So what's in the news? What is in the news? We talked about the Michael Orr thing. And people are sort of backtracking and saying um, that his legal case is bogus because he knew about the conservatorship. I'm like, people, he knew about the conservatorship. He wrote about it in his book. 
he is telling you he did not know the conservatorship meant that he was not adopted. He didn't know that a conservatorship is not the same as an adoption. That's what he didn't know. That's what he found out in February. That yes, he was in a conservatorship, but he had no idea that it was not the same thing as an adoption. I need people to be better readers <laughs> and comprehenders of information. He didn't say he didn't know he was in a conservatorship. He said he did not know that it was not the same as an adoption. Anyway, next topic. Apparently, Paramount, and oh, Paramount, we got lots to say about you. Apparently, Paramount has backed out of deciding to sell its majority stake in BET. Now, we know that Tyler Perry all, um, already has a 25% share in BET+, Plus, which is where a lot of his shows are. Okay? But here's the thing. Paramount said that they wanted $3 billion for their majority stake. Tyler Perry offered them $2 billion. Byron Allen offered them the full $3 billion. Now Paramount has pulled out and said, oh, we recognize the value of the brand and we've decided that, you know, it, the value of the brand means so much to us and we're not going to, to sell it. They didn't want to sell it to Byron Allen. So here is my analysis on that, along with other black people who agree with me. Um, here's the thing. Paramount is playing in our faces. They're playing in our faces because you said that you were going to sell this with the asking price of $3 billion. Okay, Tyler Perry came up short. We get it. But all of the newspapers, all of the the print material out there is saying um, it's no longer up for sale because Tyler Perry fell short. The headlines don't say Paramount was offered the $3 billion by Byron Allen and they still pulled out. That's what the headline should read. Because now people are, some people were at first like blaming Tyler Perry, like, oh, Tyler Perry, you couldn't put up another billion. <laughs> but when you read the, the fuller article, it tells you that Byron Allen put up the full offering. So what was this really about, Paramount? That's what we want to know now. What was this really about? Were you getting people's hopes up that you would put the company back into black ownership hands and you just kind of pulled a psych on everybody because let me tell you something about the black community we don't like people playing in our faces we don't like people doing a psych on us especially about something that means something to our culture i.e the fact that bet was first a black owned network so now people are saying well, since Paramount wants to play in our faces, how about we just not watch? Paramount, 
How about we not go to any movies produced by Paramount? Since y'all want to play in our faces and y'all don't want to give it to any black man. How about we do that? So now black Americans are calling for a boycott of Paramount, of BET, of Paramount movies. Now, let me tell you a little bit about film history because this is my expertise a little bit, you know. Let me tell you about film history in Paramount. This should be, I think you'll be interested in hearing this. So back in the day, movies, when they were first coming out and first popular from like the 1930s into like the 19, late 1950s, they had what was called the golden era of Hollywood in the, in the studio system. And there were five major studio systems during that time. And one of them was Paramount. And what they would do with the studio system is each studio had certain actors that would work for that studio and they would star in all of the films, which is why if you go back and kind of look at some of the older films, you kind of see the same actors in different um, different films back in that time. Well, those actors were contracted to a particular studio. And what was happening with the studio system is a studio like Paramount would contract with the movie theaters and they would sell their films to movie theaters in order to distribute. But here's the catch. Say the movie theater only wanted their, their hit film. Well, in order for the movie theater to get that one hit film or those two fit, hit films a year, they would have to sign a contract with Paramount that not only would they play that hit film, but they, or what they call the A movie or the, the movie that attracts, right? They would have to play not only those hit films, but they had to agree to play any film that Paramount or any other studio like MGM or whatever, Universal, they would have to play any other film that was a B film or lower that that studio was putting out. So this is why you got those movies like, um, some of you probably remember like those old, like black and white movies of Godzilla and just these crazy, poorly produced movies and people are like, what is this? <laughs> well, it was because in order for the movie theater to get the really well-made films, they would also have to take on all of the crap films as well. So this was a good system that worked for the studios, but really the movie theaters were, were not really doing well. And what was happening was a monopoly was being created because the studios controlled the flow of what was coming into the movie theaters. So these movie theaters were being forced to buy these horrible movies <laughs> to show these low rated, low quality films to show in their movie theaters in order to get access to the really good films. Well, guess what happened? Our government decided that the studio system was creating an unlawful monopoly. And so the court case 
the um it was called paramount i think paramount versus the government or something like that you can look it up the government decided that this studio system had to end and that was the beginning of the end for the golden years of hollywood the government had to break up the studio system because of the monopoly that was being created that was unfair to movie theaters and really to moviegoers because those poor films that people still had to pay for people were still paying for those poor films were funding the better film but they were putting out so many horrible horribly produced films that it was starting to hurt mm -hmm. the movie theaters so the government broke it up and we know that today as a term called blockbusting. So that's where that term blockbusting comes from. Um, <laughs> the government busted up this block booking of films that the major studios were doing. Now, fast forward that to today and think about streaming. If you have a streaming company that you are associated with, go ahead and type it in the chat. So streaming would be like Netflix, um, Amazon Prime, Hulu, Stars, Paramount Plus, Disney, all these streaming channels, right? But you notice with streaming, you don't just get to get your one film and get out of there, right? In order for me to watch one show that I really want to see on Netflix, I have to do what? I have to pay a monthly fee for the streaming service that has hundreds of films on it that I don't want to see. Just to get to one series that I might want to see. So what does that sound like and feel like? It feels like all of these studios just found another loop around to block booking. So it's the same thing that they were doing. <laughs> They're just now doing it through streaming sites. They have yet created new monopolies that the government is eventually going to have to come in and break up because it's the same thing. They just found a new avenue and a new media and a new way of doing the same kind of monopoly. I only want to see one show. Why do I have to pay you monthly for 500 shows I'm never going to look at? It's the same thing. So I am not surprised because <laughs> they had to take them to court. Right. They're all getting ready to increase their prices. Exactly. 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 It's highway robbery multiple times over. And so if you're already paying for something like Amazon Prime, you go on Amazon Prime and there's still other channels that you have to pay for on top of Amazon Prime. Again, it's highway robbery. And just like in the past where the government had to step in and say, look, you all are abusing the public. Yeah, you all are abusing the pub public. 
this system has to stop. They're going to wind up having to do the same thing, I believe, with streaming. So it does not surprise me that the major person in the previous case, Paramount, it does not surprise me that they are the ones behind this shenanigans that they have now pulled with Tyler Perry, Byron Allen, and the other group of investors, women included, that wanted to get this back, this sh this uh, network back. And so, yes, people are saying, look, we are tired of y'all playing in our faces. Let's just boycott it. And let me tell you something. It is fact. It ain't conjecture. <laughs> it is fact that Black Americans are the largest share of viewers of television, period. So if we are the largest share of viewers for anybody's network, right? Whole networks have been built off of Black viewership and then they dump content for Black viewership after they get their numbers up, their Nielsen ratings. So people use our viewership all the time. They'll start out with good television programming geared toward black people. And then when they get their numbers up, they will drop those shows and then add the shows that they really want that don't really interest us. So if that's the case, then yes, we should not be watching. And if we have to do it, and just say, we're not going to watch BET consistently for a year so their ratings can drop, so they can get on out the way. However you want to do it. But again, sometimes we, we don't realize how much power we have. So whether it's buying power, whether it's viewership power, you want our viewership. So your ratings can go up because if your ratings are up, you can pull in those sponsors for commercials to pay you. But if your viewership is down, that means your ratings are down. That means you don't get the sponsorship dollars. So that's how that works. It's very simple. Stop watching. Because again, these people do not understand anything but green. And it's sad to say it that way, but that's really what it is. They only stand, they only understand green. They say black lives matter, but they only matter when it comes to green bills deposited. So black lives matter to them when green bills are deposited in their accounts. When green bills stop being deposited, then we'll 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 see. So I am all for it. I am all for people calling for a full boycott of Paramount. They, their network, their movies, anything they put out, just bypass it. Because until they start to actually feel an economic impact, they're, they're going to keep doing the same thing. Or until the government steps in and tells all of these streaming platforms, you all can't do this anymore. 
you got to find a different way to operate because y'all are creating a new form of monopolizing. Same thing with um, social media. Um, I know everybody's jumping on threads. I have zero interest in joining threads. You know why? Because I'm already having to answer to the same person through Meta. I'm already having to deal with them through Facebook. I'm already having to deal with them here on Instagram. Why in the world would I sign up for a third platform to deal with the same entity? When I'm already having issues, make it make sense. It doesn't make sense for me, not for me. <laughs> so I'd like to see someone else come up with a platform that is not run by the same person. Yes, I would like that. I like that very much. You know, so yeah, are, are people upset with Twitter? And Threads is a, a version of Twitter. And I can understand why they would be jumping off Twitter to go to Threads. But then I look at who owns Threads and I'm like, you're out of the, out of the, what do they say? Out of the frying pan and into the fire. Why? Why would I do that to myself? I'm not going to do it. So that's why I'm on TikTok. At least TikTok is not those two. It's a different owner. They still got issues too, though. But I'm like, I'm not signing up for a third platform with the same person. I'm just not doing it. All right. I cannot believe this has taken up 37 minutes of my time. <laughs> but I hope you all have enjoyed uh, learning some new things and uh, thinking about what to do about this, this Paramount thing. I personally agree with all of the Black Americans who are saying, let's boycott them. I think... I think that is a doable plan. There are other films out here. There are other shows out here you can see. Um, if you're like me and you have a DVD player and you've got your DVD collection, hey, just go back through and start watching some of your old shows on your DVDs and just say, all right, Paramount, as long as y'all want to do this, here we are. Here we are. So we do have some measure of control. I know sometimes it feels like, man, what can we do? These people are just, feels like they're running roughshod over black Americans, but there are some things that we can do. We can stop watching. We can turn the channel. We can write to Tyler Perry Studios and say, Tyler, <laughs> you and Diddy and Byron and the rest of y'all, if y'all have all this capital to put up, why don't y'all use the capital to create your own network? Do you know and do you see how many actors and writers and producers are on strike right now? This is the perfect time to create your own network and bring in those writers, producers, and actors who are on strike, pay them to start producing some new shows. I'm just saying. 
I know I can't be the only person thinking this. I just know that. I, I can't be the only person thinking this. So don't just wait on, don't just wait on, you know, these major white supremacist owned networks and, and things to give you a crumb. You ha we have enough skilled people that are already in existence that can help you with building a new network. Yeah. Ava DuVernay started a whole organization of hiring. I think it's called Array. It's like a film employment agency. Why aren't y'all all partnering together to get this done? I don't understand. I'm just looking. I'm just wondering. And if you see that this is how they feel about all of y'all. In other words, we don't care if you have the $3 billion to put up for it. We're not going to give it to you. So they're already showing you they don't care how much money you have. Make your own. Build your own. Now, I think I've got no time. <laughs> so we will come back to this on Monday. We will start here with Rest is Resistance, a manifesto. All right. I have said a lot today from customer service to women's health, making sure you get those appointments and checkups in your annuals to this whole situation with Paramount. And what does that mean for the black culture when somebody is literally trying to, to gaslight you into acting as if they are for your good as a community and then they just back out of the deal? We shouldn't take that sitting down. I don't think we should as a community. Tell me what your thoughts are in the uh, comment section here. And if you want to come on and chop it up about any of the subjects that we've talked about today, please click on the camera and I will happily bring you on. If you're listening by Google, Spotify, Apple, Anchor to the podcast, I want to thank you for your time and attention. Remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness. So continue to go out and be light. Be well and be light.